Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Morning. Morning, those of you that are watching online. I hope that you are, did you enjoy your extra hour of sleep? Come on, y'all. Yeah, you did. So, so nobody's falling asleep this morning while I preach, all right? Because you got that extra hour. So you should be, and those of you watching online, you got an extra hour too. Uh, yeah, it, it, was a good, it was good to get a little extra sleep last night. And uh, the weather has been really good. A uh, couple things before we dive into uh, part three of our series, actually part two of our series, Countercultural. Uh, we have a couple things that I wanted to make sure you know about. So tonight, if you are a bridge builder... And you're like, what is a bridge builder? Y'all build bridges around here? Basically, a bridge builder is anybody that volunteers here at CityWalk in any capacity. Uh, if you are a bridge builder, we're having a special gathering tonight at 630. Uh, it's called, just called Vision Night for Bridge Builders. We've got some exciting things to tell you guys about. And so I want to make sure that you're here tonight at 630. And then next week, if you call CityWalk home... If you're watching online and, and you call City Walk home, or if maybe you're investigating this church and think, hey, I think this might be my home, I want to really encourage you to be here next week. Because next week we're going to be sharing some things about our future as a church, some really exciting things. And uh, we have been praying about some things, some opportunities have opened up. And so next week is when we're going to share some of that and, and really how you can be a part of that. And so next week's going to be a big week. So be here. And if you're a bridge builder, make sure you're here tonight. So we're, we're officially in the Christmas season, aren't we? Because Starbucks, some of you, I, I know you have Starbucks cups. And so Starbucks came out with their cups. But this is that week in the year that a lot of families have very vicious arguments. You, you know what I'm saying? You, you, you've had, maybe at your house, you've had some arguments. And uh, there's some back and forth in your family, uh, just like there is in my family. And, and people have some really strong opinions on both sides of the argument. And so culture tells us one thing, you have some traditions that tell you another thing. And, and if you're not sure about why, what, what I'm talking about, it, and it's simply this, this is the big argument is, hey, when is it legal to pull out the Christmas decorations? When is it legal to start playing Michael Buble's Christmas music? Like, when is it legal? Uh, at, our, at our house, uh, we have some people in our family that love Jesus' birthday, and we want to celebrate it longer. But then we also have some people in our family that only want to celebrate Jesus's birthday after Thanksgiving. And so we have our, you know, not, I mean, we're not like duking it out, but there's some strong opinions on both sides. And probably for you, you would say the same thing. And if our culture kind of had their way, we would start celebrating Christmas in August because it seems like 
if you go into stores, kind of the Christmas decor and that department is starting to come out earlier and earlier. And I'm guessing it has something to do with them wanting us to spend more money. Uh, but, but it's coming out early. But probably for most of us, you don't really probably listen to the culture. You have some traditions as a family that, that kind of dictate for your family when you're going to get the special pajamas and when you're going to do the dec- you know, decorating the tree. And, and you have traditions that dictate kind of the timing of all those special events that are kind of going to go on over this next few months. And so for you, culture... Whether culture wants you to celebrate Christmas longer or pull out the decorations earlier, you're not listening to culture. You have some traditions that that you're going to follow that will kind of fit with your family, which is good. Because, and you know this, very rarely is culture's view the best view. And, and very rarely, not just in this area of Christmas, but very rarely in, in any area is culture's view and, and culture's voice the one that is most helpful to follow. Yet, yet in many areas, we find ourselves, if we're honest, tempted to take our cues from the culture. We take our parenting cues from the culture. We're, we're tempted to take our money cues, our sexuality cues, and, and you could just kind of fill in the blank where, man, whether we, we want to or not, we're tempted to listen to what the culture tells us in a lot of different areas of our life. And, and we're bombarded with different opinions. We're bombarded with, with different people and, and organizations telling us how we should do different things. And so whether we like it or not, the voice of culture is pretty loud. And, and, and it's very hard to totally block it out and, and really make decisions without culture's views really, really having an impact. But, but here's the thing, and, and you know this, whether, and maybe you don't, whether you grew up in church or not, you might find this interesting. This isn't a new thing. It, it, it's not a new thing for culture to have such a big voice that it impacts people that, that don't even want culture's voice involved, but it impacts them. This is something that was happening a lot when Jesus walked the earth. And it's, it's one of the reasons, one of the reasons that Jesus actually came to earth was he wanted to tell the world that there was a better way to live life. There was a better path to live life. And it's one of the reasons he came. And, and you probably would guess this, whether you kind of are a church person or not, maybe you're here, you're kind of investigating faith. You would probably guess that culture and Jesus' view don't always match up. And when Jesus walked the earth and when Jesus kind of laid out his thoughts and his way, it wasn't always the most popular way. It wasn't always the way that everybody else was going, which is one of the reasons they sought to kill him pretty early on in his life and ministry. And Matthew, one of the guys that wrote a historical account of Jesus' life, and if you have your Bible, you, you probably know that there's an Old Testament and a New Testament, and the very first book of the New Testament is a book called Matthew that was written by a guy named Matthew. And Matthew wrote about the, the life and the ministry of Jesus, and one of the things he wrote in his kind of account was he wrote about a sermon that Jesus gave that's probably the most popular sermon 
that he ever gave, and you've heard about it even if you're not a churchgoer, and it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And, and he wrote about this sermon that Jesus gave, and he took quite a bit of time to explain it and, and kind of share what Jesus said. And in this sermon, Jesus basically lays out for those that were listening and now those that are reading it many years later, he lays out for us his way of living, his way of living in his kingdom. And he kind of compares it to the way that the culture and, and the world was, was telling people to live. See, back then, People took their cues. Even if they weren't religious people, they took their cues a lot from religious people. Because Jewish people back then, they, they, from early on in their life, they were taught Old Testament laws. They were taught Old Testament ways of doing things. And they took a lot of their cues on how they were doing from the Old Testament. And Jesus, he comes along and he says, hey, there's a different way to do things. My kingdom is, a, is different than the, what the world is about and what the Old Testament's about. And several times in this message, you'll hear Jesus say this phrase, you have heard that it was said. Several times in this sermon, Jesus says, you've heard from culture, you've heard from religion, you've heard, you've heard it said this way. Now let me explain to you how it's different in my kingdom, how it's different in my way. And about a third of the way through this message, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So you, you've heard, for, for, since you were a little kid, since, since you can remember, you've been taught... This, this idea that loving your neighbor is a good thing. And, and because you love your neighbor, that you, you also hate your enemy. You've been taught this. All the way back to Leviticus chapter 19, where it says this. Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So, for instance, if you have little kids... Or you have nieces, nephews, you're a grandma and grandpa, you have, you have grandkids. Man, you know this, that man, when they first go to school, there are some things every kid learns. They learn their ABCs. It's just what they're taught. They learn the Pledge of Allegiance. It's just what they're taught. And when, when these kids, these Jewish kids were little, they just, it was just part of what they were taught. They were taught the Old Testament. And so one of the things, one of the lessons that they were taught was this, this idea that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. But then what happened is the religious leaders took the love your neighbor part and they applied it in a way that told people not only are you supposed to love your neighbor, but you're also supposed to hate your enemy. And basically, and this is so jacked up, basically what they did is they used God as an excuse to hate people. They used God as an excuse to treat people horribly. They basically said that, that their hatred of people was God's judgment on people. That was what was supposed to happen. And so these religious leaders took what was taught to these people from as early as they can remember, love your neighbor... And they applied it in a way that said, hey, 
love your neighbor, but also hate people that you don't, that aren't your neighbor. Hate, you, you, basically, you're justified to hate people. You're justified to treat people terribly, and you can blame God for it. And so this is what these people that Jesus is talking to, this is what they've been brought up with. They've been brought up with the idea that, man, if I, if I treat you terribly, that's, I can do that. If I treat you disrespectfully, that's okay. I'm actually doing God's work. Doesn't sound too far from some of the religious circles of today. People justify treating certain groups ter- terribly and disrespectfully, and they actually blame God for it. And so these people, this is what they had been taught. But then Jesus says this. So this is what you've been taught, but here's what I'm going to tell you. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You've been taught to love your neighbors and and you've been allowed to hate people and treat them disrespectfully and, and blame God for it. And I'm telling you something different. In my kingdom and my way, it's different. In my kingdom and my way, I want you to love your enemies and I want you to pray for those who persecute you. And as you think of the word enemies, Jesus defines enemies as, man, those who curse you, those who exploit you, those who hate you, like bad people. And Jesus says, in my kingdom and my way of doing things is different than what you've been taught. You are to love your enemies and you are to not only love them, you're to take time to pray for people that persecute you. My kingdom's different. And he goes on, he says this, so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. Basically, Jesus is saying is when you love your enemies, when you pray for those who persecute you and hurt you, Basically, what you're doing is you're giving evidence that you are a child of God because you are doing exactly what your heavenly father does. You are loving people that don't love you. You're treating people well that don't treat you well. And when you do that, you look just like your dad, your heavenly father. If you're a parent or even if, you're, if you have little kids around you, you know this. Little kids, they very naturally, they want to be like their parents. They want to be like their uncle, like their aunt. I mean, remember when you were a little kid, maybe you did this, or if you have little kids around you, man, they, they want to put on your shoes. That you, you ever put on your dad's like tie or his jacket? Like they want to wear, even though like they don't fit, they, they want to look like you. They, Dad, you got a bunch of tools. Your, your, your little guy, man, he wants to be in the middle of it. He wants to pretend that he's fixing the thing that you're fixing. I remember when Austin was little. My, uh, he's 21 now. He's not little anymore. But when Austin was little, probably two or three years old, I'd be out. We lived in Florida. And I'd be out kind of mowing the lawn in the backyard. And he was a little afraid of the lawnmower. It was kind of one of those love-hate things because he thought it was super interesting and cool but it was also pretty loud, which scared him a little bit. And so I would get out and I would, you know, I'd be out there mowing and doing my thing. 
And Austin would get his little like bubble making mower that Fisher Price makes. And he would be, you know, five or six yards that way. And he'd be tentatively, you know, didn't want to get cut up by my mower. So he's kind of watching me, uh, but he'd be kind of doing what I did. He just kind of wanted to do what dad did. He had a vacuum cleaner. That, that same thing, he, you know, see people in, inside vacuuming, he'd grab his little vacuum. He just, he wanted to do the same thing. And that's natural. It's natural for a kid to want to use the tools their dad does, to want to wanna look like they're somebody they, they look up to. That's natural. And, and we were used to that. And, and what Jesus is saying, he's saying, you know what? When you love your enemy, which, which sounds so different from culture, And when you actually take time to pray for those who hurt you, you are following the example of your heavenly father because that's exactly what God does. God loves people even when those people hate him. And he doesn't just say it with his words, he proves it. I mean, think about it. Maybe, and maybe you never have thought about it this way, but God gives breath to people that use that breath to curse him. God gives sunlight to people that hate him. God gives grace and mercy. He he provides so much to so many people that honestly could care less about him and some of them are just adamantly against him. But he shows his love and his grace and his mercy to people that hate him. Romans 5 says it this way. Paul in Romans 5 said it this way. He said, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, when we were still basically giving God the finger, when we were sinners, when we were God's enemies, when we didn't want to go God's way, God proved his love to us even when we were in that state by having Christ die for us. He goes on in verse 10 and he says it this way. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Basically, when we were fighting God, when we hated God, when we didn't want anything to do with his way, it was in that very moment that God was working to fix that relationship, to reconcile that relationship with somebody that didn't want the relationship fixed. And was actually doing everything they could to run away from that relationship. It was in that moment that God came. He sent his son to reconcile, to take what was wrong and make it right for people that hated him. We were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Then how much more, having been reconciled, we will be saved by his life. So God, he he didn't just say he loved his enemies he didn't just say it's important to pray for those who persecute you he proved it with his actions he's proving it today with his actions God's doing what he's told us to do and when we follow our father's cue when we take 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 that example and we do it in any way we're becoming we're showing that we're God's kid Jesus says he's probably, he's, he said a lot of, if you take time to read through this sermon, he says a lot of this of stuff in this sermon that probably shocked these people. 
And they're like, whoa, we didn't, that's a totally different way to see it, Jesus. We never heard it that way. And this is probably one of those things where, where at the beginning they're like, oh yeah, yeah, we were taught love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And they're all nodding and Jesus says, but no, 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 there's a different way to do it. I actually want you to love your enemy. I actually want you to pray for those who persecute you. I want to, I want to press you there. And so they're probably sitting there like a little shocked. And so what Jesus does, which is what he's really good at, is he kind of presses in even more with this next statement. He says this. He says, for if you, in verse, in, in verse 46 of Matthew 5, for if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? He says, man, okay, so you love people that love you. Golf clap for you, buddy. Like, okay, great, good for you. And then he says something that, that probably, like, this was a, a, a kind of a tough thing for them to hear. Don't even the tax collectors do the same? I mean, a tax collector to these people was the lowest of the low, the enemy of enemies. A tax collector was a Jewish person who worked for the enemy Rome and basically stole from Jewish people to give money to the enemy. And and, and so these people are like, like when, when Jesus describes tax collectors, he usually puts it in two cases. He's like, sinners and tax collectors. Like, they're sinners, and then there's a whole nother level of it, and that's the tax collector. That's what these people thought of them. And so what Jesus is saying, hey, even the most evil person you can think of, the person you think is farthest from God, and, and the person that you despise... Even that person loves people that love them. I mean, come on. But then Jesus, he he goes on and he says it this way. He says, "And, and even you greet only your brothers and sisters. What are you, what are you doing out of the ordinary? I'm like, and when you greet your brothers and sisters, basically when you're kind to your friends, Don't even people that don't follow God, which is what they would call the Gentiles back then, they do the same thing. It's like, it's like, man, if you're a San Francisco Giant fan, it's pretty easy to high-five another San Francisco Giant fan. I mean, even evil Dodgers fans high-five other evil Dodgers fans. Like, that's not hard. We're all friends with people that are nice to us. It's like, come on. That, I mean, that, and that's what Jesus is saying. You guys are so impressed with yourself. But dude, come on. Even the worst of the worst people in your categories, that you categorize people, even they do that. I mean, you're not different if you're nice to people that are nice to you. You're not different if you care for people that care for you. Everybody does that, or at least they fake it. Come on. And so Jesus, again, these people are hearing this like, oh my, this is, I mean, Jesus is pushing. And so Jesus says, instead of living like everyone else and kind of taking your cues from culture, he says this in verse 48, he says, let me just raise the bar a little bit. And he says this, be perfect. What? Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. Everybody loves people that love them. Everybody's kind to their friends. Come on. If you're going to be different, 
if you're going to be different from culture and different from what the voice of culture and what everybody does, you have to be perfect. And, and that word perfect means spiritually mature. You're different. You're spiritually mature. Therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. See, God the Father is the standard. Not your train wreck of a friend that even loves people that love. I mean, we, we, we like compare to each other. And he's like, that's not the standard. The standard is your heavenly father. He's, he's the standard for love. He's the standard for holiness. He's the standard for grace. He is without fault. And if we are his children, we should be growing to look more like him and less like what the culture tells us to look like. Be perfect. Be spiritually mature. Be looking more like God and less like the culture if you're going to be different. And maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online and you're like, dude, Chris, and you know what? That sounds good. Yeah, that's, that's great. But, but this whole idea of being like God, it's kind of hard to wrap my mind around, obviously, because he has the God card that he can play. Like, he's God. And so be like God is, I'm not God. So, so how do I be like God? That's a, that seems like a pretty tall order. And if you feel that way, you should. Yeah, God's God. He has that on us. He's sinless. He's perfect. He's holy. And now Jesus is saying, hey, instead of taking your cues from culture on how to treat people, be like God. And so we're here reading this now 2,000 years later, and it's like, dude, how do we do that? It's hard to wrap our mind around what that would look like. And here's the beautiful thing. That's why the Christmas season is so special. Because you don't have to wonder what it would look like. We saw what it would look like in Jesus. We saw what it would look like in God coming to earth and doing exactly what Jesus talked about. Because Jesus, he showed us what it would look like to love people who hate you. Jesus, he, he showed us what it would look like to be kind to people that insult you. Jesus, he, he, he showed us what it was like to pray for people why they crucified him. We don't have to wonder, like, I, how can I do that? How can I look like God? We don't have to wonder. We've been given an example. And his name is Jesus. The things that Jesus was telling us to do and, and saying, this is the way to do it, and this is the best way. This is my kingdom's way. He didn't just talk about it. He gave us an example. See, Jesus taught us to be different, but then he showed us what it looked like. And here's the most beautiful thing. Because even that, you're like, well, that's still a pretty tall order. I agree. But here's the most beautiful thing of all. Here's the, here, here it is. Not only does Jesus tell us, not only does he show us, but he literally gives us the power to do it. He, he, he shows us, he tells us, 
But then he literally empowers us to do what he's told us to do because we can't do it without him. This might be a shocker to you, but you and I need Jesus as much today as we do for eternity. Like, I need Jesus as much today to be a good husband and dad as I do to get into heaven. Sometimes we think, oh, like, well, I got to start a relationship with Jesus because, man, I've heard that hell is not really a great place and I obviously don't want to spend forever there. So I I really need you, Jesus, to kind of get my fire insurance, start a relationship, get to heaven. But then we kind of do our thing. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Yeah, you definitely need me for that. You, You can't get there on your own. But you think you can be a good dad without me. That's funny. Oh, you think you can love your wife well without me? Oh, you think you can love that really annoying coworker all by yourself just because you're really disciplined and a good person? That's cute. Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You, you need me for this. And, and Paul said it this way in Philippians chapter 2. He, said it, he says, for it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. He's saying, God's spirit indwells you if you're his child. And part of what he does is he empowers you to do what he calls you to do. So all that said, here's the bottom line. God does not ask us to do something he doesn't give us the power to do, including love our enemies. He's not, he's not up there like, you know what? Let me throw this one out at them. And let's see what they can do with this. Oh, yeah, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. It's impossible, but let's see what the kids do with it. No. He's saying, I- I'm telling you to do this because it is possible, and I'm actually going to give you the power to do this because my way is different. He gives us what we need to do. And this isn't just in this area. I'm guessing whether you are a follower of Christ or not, there are things in your life that overwhelm you. There's, I, I talked to some people even this week that, that, you know, parents and different people that are, that are working through things with their kids. And it's just, it's overwhelming. The answers aren't clear. It's, it's not easy. And, and God's saying, you know what? I, I'm here. I've made available to you what you need to do things my way. I'm going to give that to you. And one of those areas is this, this countercultural idea of loving people that don't love you. Praying for people that, that could care less about you and are actually actively trying to do things to make you uncomfortable or even hurt you. See... All of us, and maybe you're online, you, we, we could all probably agree with this. All of us, no matter what age you are, no matter where you are in your walk with God, were probably taught similar things as a kid. And, and here's what I mean. Like, like you were probably taught at some level to be kind to people that were kind to you. Like when you go to school, hey, be nice to your buddy or share your toys you were probably taught to, man, care for people that, that care, you know, people that are in your life that, that care for you. You were probably taught, you may have even been rewarded. There may be a star chart somewhere 
where you got stars on it because you were kind to people or you did this and you did the nice thing. Like you got your name on the board or the candy or the reward. You may have been rewarded for doing this. This is just what you were taught, just like I was taught that. We were taught to be kind. We were taught to care for people. But, but probably none of us went to a class or read a book on how to treat people that don't like us how to treat people that are our enemies. Like, we didn't have to go to a class for that. We didn't have to read a book on that. That came pretty naturally. Like, when somebody did something mean to us on the playground, we didn't have to go, like, get counsel on, on how to treat them. We, it, naturally, we, it naturally came to us. And, and not only does it naturally come to us, but all we have to do is look around. Like you grew up and, and, and you had examples of this. I mean, you watched your dad lose it at the Little League game and, and just treat the, the coach or the umpire terribly for the seven-year-old t-ball game. I mean, you, you watch that. You, you watch as people that are supposed to be followers of Jesus are just jerks on social media over politics and so things that are just so minimal. Like, like, you don't have to, like, look far to find people that, that treat people disrespectfully. It's just normal in our culture. You don't have to look far to, to hear people, even in a church, that are gossiping behind other people's back. It just seems normal. Treating people disrespectfully, treating people that aren't nice to you in a, in a bad way, it's just what the culture tells us to do. Honestly, it's, it's kind of just the way things work when we're the center of the kingdom. When we're in the center of the kingdom, it's pretty natural to treat people good that treat you good and treat people bad that treat you bad when we're the center. No one has to teach us that. It comes very naturally, which leads to a question that I want you to think about. Maybe you've never thought of it this way, but here's the question. Whose kingdom are you serving? Just think about it. Just for yourself. Maybe you're watching online. Like, whose kingdom are you about? Whose kingdom are you serving? Let me make it real black and white. There's two kingdoms. We can call them what they are, call them other things, but just black and white for the sake of time. There's Satan's kingdom. And if we're, in, if we're kind of serving that kingdom, we, we take our cues from culture, and loving our enemies makes no sense in that kingdom. If that's the kingdom we're serving, then, then it makes no sense to love our enemies. That just, it doesn't even, comp- like that's not even part of the deal. If that's the kingdom that we're serving, if that's the kingdom, if that's the agenda, and we would never say it this way because that's like, that sounds really bad, but if, if the agenda I'm, I'm kind of running on for my life is one that Satan sets, then, then loving my enemies is probably not part of the deal. It just doesn't make sense. But if, if we're serving God's kingdom, then instead of taking our cues from culture, we take our cues from his word. And it doesn't mean that we always love what his word says or that it like sometimes it might rub us the wrong way or we're like, oh, that's, that's, man, it would be easier to just do it a different way, God. But we take our cues from his word. 
And if we're serving God's kingdom, then loving our enemies makes perfect sense. Because that's what our king did. That's what he's doing. So if we're taking our cues and we're serving his kingdom, then it makes total sense that we would love people that are jerks to us. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it makes sense because that's what our king did. That's what his son did when he left heaven to come to earth to die for people that hated him. And so, so I want you to think about that. And let me close off with a couple things. Because I'm guessing there's some people watching online. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Chris, okay, I haven't always done the love your enemy thing well. And I would like put myself in that group too. But I'm in a, like, I, obviously, I'm not trying to serve Satan's kingdom, Chris. So, I mean, I obviously would like to serve and make, you know, please God and do things that are good and helpful. So, so if that's you and, and maybe you're here and you say, man, I, I would, I'd like to kind of focus on what God wants in this area. And I know it's not going to be easy, but, but, but what could I do to practically love my enemies? Even this week, even today. Let me, let me give you a few practical ideas that are super not complicated, but will help us whether we're online or we're here this morning. Here's, here's the first thing. And this might offend some of you. Have fewer enemies. I'm, I'm being I'm just going to, can I just be honest first? You're like, I hope you've been honest the whole time you've been up there, Chris. But, but let me just say, some of you walk in a room and you think everybody hates you. And no one's even thinking of you. But you walk in a room and you, because so-and-so didn't look at you or so-and-so didn't talk to you or the tone they used or they gave me the look, they're just constipated. They're not, they're not upset at you. They don't hate you. So some of us just need to like think the best of other people and just have fewer enemies. It makes it easier when you have fewer enemies to love. So for some, and it's kind of funny, but really true, like we just need to think the best of every. Like when we walk in a room, let's assume that everyone in our small group at church is nice and they love us and they don't, they're not upset at us. And you're like, let's just pretend that they think the best of you and you can think the best of them. And it just makes it easier. When you go to the grocery store, just pretend that the cash register person likes you. No, they gave me the look. I didn't like how they gave me those, that change. They must hate me. No, they, they just, that's not it. So have fewer enemies. But here's number two. Pray for people you don't like. It, it's easy to pray for people we love. So you pray for your kids. You pray for your mom. You pray for your sister, your brother. It's, you know, people in your life. But man, look at that prayer list. And some of those people that rub you the wrong way, put their name on it. And for some of them, man, you, you, they don't know God. You, you want to pray that they know God, that salvation. But, but just pray for them. Pray for people that you don't like. And, and you, don't have to go, you don't have to tell them that you're praying for them. That might be taking it too far. But, but pray for them. Just pray for people that, that and, and, and don't, like we all have some people that rub us. And you don't even have to say you don't like them. Maybe you're too nice for that. But there's definitely people in your life that just rub you the wrong way. You're not sending them a Christmas card this year. You're not going to go to their party. You're going to come up with an excuse because it's just, just pray for those people. Pray for them. Last thing, 
serve people you disagree with. And I mean, we're, we're in the midst of a political season. And this is, gonna, this is a tame political season compared to what it's going to be in two years. And the church and followers of Jesus should do this better than anybody. They should serve people even if they disagree with them. And when I say serve, here's what I mean. Do something to help them that cost you. Do something. Do something small, big, I don't know, whatever God tells you, but, but do something to help people that disagree with you, to help them do something personally for them, to just bless them that actually cost you. And, and here's what might never happen. It, this may not, but your, your motive isn't to get them to go from someone you disagree with to agree with you. Your motive isn't for an enemy to become a friend. Your motive is just to be obedient to what Jesus said and look more like your heavenly father. That's it. If they ever like you, if they ever do anything back in return, that's not your motive. You're not looking for that. You're just trying to say, okay, instead of taking my cues from culture and the world, I'm going to lean into what Jesus said. And Jesus showed me how to love and pray for those that you disagree with, that don't like you, that don't treat you respectfully. And so as hard as that is, I'm going to be empowered by my, my, my heavenly father and I'm going to walk this path that's different from the culture and I'm going to love people and treat people respectfully and lovingly even if they don't treat me that way. Because that's what Jesus did. And that's what he's called us to. And if you're here and you're sick, Chris, I, I'm not a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're watching online. For you, this may be the very reason you walked away from the church. This may be the very reason it makes you nervous to even be in a room with people that are church people. Because of how you've seen church people treat others. And for some of you, that's your story. You've seen people that say they follow Jesus and they can speak it, treat people so disrespectfully and harmfully that for you, there was a time in your life you just said, why would I want that? And I'm here to tell you, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. And so as a gathering, let's be different. Let's not make our lives the reason someone else walks away. Let's again, make, let's make our lives the reason somebody leans in and says, maybe this whole Jesus thing is better, is different than what I saw in some other scenarios. Let's be that. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for your word and you uh, were so good to us. You are so good to us. You, you call us to things that are good for us. You call us to things that are good for our world. And you call us to things that you showed us how to do and empower us to do. And God, I pray that you would help us. With every head bowed and every eye closed, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, earlier... I ask you a question. 
And if you're somebody that's a follower of Jesus, I want you to think about that question. I ask you this question. Whose kingdom are you serving? If, if you're honest and you would say, Chris, I'm not always serving God's kingdom, not always serving God's agenda. I, I find myself taking cues from culture and from social media and from just, just voices that are not telling me things that the, the scriptures tell me. I would encourage you, and, and really, it's just, just a decision you have to make. You're going to do it God's way or you're going to do it culture's way? And if you'd say, man, I, I want to do it God's way. I want to love people even if they don't love me. Then for you and for me, we just we need to turn down the volume. We need to turn down the volume on culture's voice. And we need to turn up the volume of God's voice and his word. And that just means we spend time with God. That means we spend time in his word. And we ask God, God, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to love these people? It's hard, God. I need your help. There's no magic potion. It's just we just got to turn the volume down on one and turn the volume up on another. Maybe you're here or you're watching online and, and you would say, Chris, I'm, I'm not a follower of Jesus. For, for maybe a variety of different reasons, Chris, I'm a little skeptical of the Jesus thing or maybe you were hurt by the church and so you kind of walked away for a whole season of your life and, and you're kind of leaning back in and hoping it's different. Well, if that's you, you need to hear that Jesus loves you. You need to hear that not only does Jesus say he loves you, but he proved his love to you by coming to earth, by living a perfect, sinless life, and then by going to the cross and being nailed to a cross and dying to pay for your sin and for my sin. Not for his own, but for our sin. So that we could have a relationship with God. They put his body in a grave, and then three days later, he got up out of the grave. And if you're here this morning, and you'd say, Chris, I don't, I don't have all the answers yet. I don't have all my questions answered. But Chris, I'm at a, a point in my life where I'm ready to say yes to a relationship with Jesus. You can do that right now. Whether you're online or here this morning, just between you and God, just in the quietness of your heart, just talk to God. Just tell God what you believe in your heart. We call that praying. Just tell him, God, I, I admit to you that I've, I've disobeyed. I admit to you that I have sinned. I've done things my own way. Just tell him, just in the quietness of your heart. And then just tell him, God, I, I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave for me. I believe that. And then just ask God to, to come into your life. Just, God, come into my life. I want a relationship with you. Transform me. Just tell him. If you're here this morning and you'd say, Chris, this morning, I made that decision. I became a follower of Jesus. Chris, as you were praying out loud, I was praying in my heart to God. Then, man, we would love to know about your decision. 
You can let us know just by, there's a decision card right in front of you. You can fill that decision card out and just drop it in the offering basket or take it to the Next Steps booth. And, and we'll just call your text shift probably once this week just to see if you have questions and really just to rejoice with you. If you're watching online, you can go to citywalk.cc and there's a decision card for you as well. Lord, I thank you for your example. I thank you for calling us to things that are hard, but that are transformative. And God, I pray that we would lean into the power you provide us and we would be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen.